Good morning, church. It is uh, good to be here with you today, uh, though our hearts are a bit heavy. I do want to take the opportunity this morning to just share a little bit about the situation in Ukraine. As many who are here uh, in our congregation have deep connections, uh, ministry and otherwise, into Ukraine, I want to take an opportunity as a congregation to pray for the country of Ukraine today. Um, one of the things that's been heavy on my heart the last three mornings as I've been out on my walks is this situation, and today um, in particular as I was walking, I was just trying to explore some ways that we could unite in prayer uh, for the country of Ukraine today, and so uh, just some, some thoughts, 10 thoughts on how we can be praying uh, for the country of Ukraine, the crisis of Ukraine, and what's happening in the Ukraine uh, right now. So first... We need to pray that uh, God's name would be magnified through this crisis and that he would make himself known to many. And we can pray that, that God's name would be magnified and that he would make himself known to many through this crisis. Second, we can pray for peace and we can pray that those who participate in injustice would repent and turn to God. Third, we can pray for strength and perseverance, for protection and provision for the Ukrainian people, for their families and their loved ones. And as you heard Mindy share this morning, we can pray for those uh, who will be refugees, who will be fleeing from the country to other parts of the world looking for refuge and safety, uh, that their path would not be hindered. Four, we can pray for the Ukrainian church that they would shine in this crisis as salt and light. As many of you uh, logged into prayer meeting on Wednesday night, you heard in our devotional time the response of many Ukrainian churches. We pray that they would shine as salt and light, that their testimony would be that of unshakable courage and resilience in the midst of this crisis. Five, we can pray for the Ukrainian army that they would be able to adequately defend, protect, and uphold their country and their people. Six, we can pray for the Ukrainians that are scattered throughout the world, and specifically the Ukrainian church in America, that they would find comfort and refuge as their hearts break for the people of their country. Along with that prayer, I would also pray that we as a church would be good neighbors to those in our lives that we know that are from the country of Ukraine, to those churches that we know are connected to Ukraine and have heavy Ukrainian influence and backgrounds. Number seven, we need to pray for the enemies of Ukraine. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We need to pray for the enemies of Ukraine, that those who desire to take, to conquer, to invade, to destroy, we need to pray that there would be conviction, that there would be repentance, a turning from their evil and a thwarting of the plans that they have against the Ukrainian people. Number eight, we need to pray for Russians, Russians who were peacefully yet actively attempting to subvert their government leaders who were intending to do evil. 
We have seen already very early in the midst of this crisis anti-war protests going on in Russia. We've also heard reports of Russian, Russian soldiers who are refusing to fight. And we need to pray that the influence of their subversion would grow amongst the Russian people. And that within Russia, there would be a groundswell, an organic groundswell of people that would stand up against the government and oppose this invasion and this activity in Ukraine. Number nine, we need to pray for the Christian church in Russia. We need to think from their perspective as well. That they would not be overcome by evil, but rather that they would overcome evil by doing good. That's what we pray for our brothers and sisters today who are worshiping in Russia as they face the looming threat of standing against their government leaders as well. And then finally, specifically for us here at Calvary Monument, we need to pray uh, for our countrymen and women along with global workers from our own congregation and from amongst our own that we're connected to, those who are taking the gospel uh, that have been part of our faith community here and are serving in Ukraine and Russia, we need to pray for them. And I, I have some specific names I'd like to share with you if you'd like to write them down this morning. First, for ministries that have connections to CNBC, we need to pray for the South Church in Zaporozhye. This would be Pastor Petrenko and his family. We need to pray for Zaporozhye Bible College and Seminary. Uh, this would be Vladimir Detreov and his family as well. We need to pray for the Fimian Church in Lutsk. This is Pastor Pasha, and I heard testimony today already of an image Pastor Pasha had put up uh, with his church surrounded by sandbags. Their church is already welcoming people to come in and take refuge in their building at night as they're fearing uh, the shelling that's going on from the Russian armies. We need to pray for those who are connected and a part of Hope International. Many of you know that Hope International started from this congregation here at Calvary Monument Bible Church, and there are still many deep-rooted connections to that ministry. We need to pray for people who are connected uh, with Hope International. We also need to pray for Pastor Petrenko's family, Ludmilla, Dima, Nelia, Tiana, Ira, or Ira, and Andre. Uh, we need to, to pray for Ken Sears, for Igor, Yarmshuk, for Nikolai Proshak and his family, his wife, Anna, for Victor and Vera Kuleshev, for Andre and his family, for Paul and Cindy Marty and the Good News Clubs. We're actually going to hear a message from Maxime in just a second. Uh, Maxime was here. If you remember, Maxime was here last year at this time. He is in Ukraine right now, fleeing. And we're lucky enough to have a message from him this morning. He, he called one of our elders and left a message and, and said that we could share it in our service this morning so that the people at Calvary Monument would know how to be praying for the situation in Ukraine. So we need to pray for Maxime, we need to pray for Vadim Proshak, and we need to pray for those who are connected with the Tomorrow Club. So Vince, if you could bring your phone, I'm going to play the message from Maxime that came this morning, or yesterday, actually, this one here. I think you'll all be able to hear. It's going to come through this mic. 
Hi, Vince. This is Max. I'm. Um, uh, it's uh, too long to write. Just wanted to let you know that we are safe. It took us, um, I don't know, almost 40 hours. I don't know, 38 or 40 hours to get from Kiev to Lviv. We are in Western Ukraine right now with Vika and Ellie. Unfortunately, my family did not want to leave, so they are staying home. Our home became like a shelter right now. We, our church members right now, because the Kiev um, apartments, high rises are being, you know, shelled by the by the rockets. We uh, um, we allowed up. Just we said that whoever wants to stay in our house, please stay. And um, um, I don't know. It's being just horrible. What I, I can't even think about is, you know, this is just uh, to me like a nightmare, a bad dream that I, I, I wish I could, I woke up, but you know, I, I cannot. So I have been, we, it's been like last night, I've been praying and all night, and uh, to, tonight, just right now, the Russians again started to shelling our cities, and I just want to pray, ask you to, I don't know, uh, talk to your church members, talk to your prayer group. This is the time really, really, really hard, uh, you know, to pray because, like, we only rely on God. I know our troops being great, they were, um, you know, showing great resistance. And um, uh, to my number, to my uh, the information that we got, I think more than 10,000 Russian troops were being killed in this, in in this two-day conflict so far. And we're entering another night, which is, is going to be extremely hard. That's where the Russians attack the, you know, uh, um, uh, schools, hospitals, um, um, kindergartens. Uh, it, 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 honestly, I can't even kind of comprehend this. This is just a crime. I don't know, it's a crime against humanity. But uh, I also understand that it's a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual war. And, you know, if this is a war between good and evil. And um, uh, Russia showed its face. And I think you know, probably the people probably are now waking up in Russia because they, their channels, their social medias are being blocked by the Russian government. So they don't know what's happening in Ukraine. Honestly, and the thing, and um, and uh, they just can't do anything. But you know, just one guy—he is absolutely demonically possessed person. There's no doubt because only people alike can do things like that. And please pray for all Ukraine so we could withstand this war. And um, <clears throat> all Ukrainians are praying right now on their knees. And I believe a lot of other people in the world, I think the more prayers we pour before God, before Him, you know, and we fill that cup with our prayers, I think God just, so God would protect the nation of Ukraine and, and just help uh, protect our troops, protect our uh, government, our president. I honestly, I was, today I repented of, you know, I, I, ju I was judge, judgmental of Him, but no longer I'm a judgmental, I want to bless Him. Because uh, he did not flee, he is to, to stayed in Kiev, <coughs> and uh, we are right now are going to probably spend another night praying and and you know just uh, pleading God for mercy for help. Oh Lord, Lord, I just I don't know. Uh, please, Vince, this is uh, um, I don't know what what else I can add or say. But uh, please pass this message on to your church. And if you can call as many people as you can, 
I mean, I know, just uh, pray with your hearts. Pray with your hearts, not with your words, but with your hearts. Because this is the prayer that it goes on to, goes right on to God. And, um, you know, this is, uh, this is the time. It's, uh, you know, we, uh, we need it. Thank you, Vince. So every once in a while, we have the opportunity to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing tremendous suffering and persecution in different parts of the world and unite with them in prayer. I think this is very relevant to our faith community here, seeing that Maxime was just here last year in person to share with us. And so today, in a sense of uh, Christian unity and brotherhood with our Ukrainian people, I'd ask that we'd stand. And we're going to first pray with our hearts, silently where we stand, and then we'll pray with our words. Father, many of us in this room recognize the seriousness of the crisis that faces our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and in Russia today. This is so difficult. Lord, we come to you today and we pray that through this crisis and through this war that somehow you would make your name magnified. That somehow through this crisis and through this war that you would make yourself known in a very real and comforting way to many. There are many, Lord, that need to know you. Father, we pray first for peace. We desire with all of our hearts that there would be peace. That you would turn back or stay the hand of those who desire to do injustice and commit atrocities. That you would cause them to repent and to turn back to you. Today, Lord, we know that it's your kindness that has borne with them, giving them time to repent. And we pray right now that you would turn their hearts, draw them back to yourself. For those who are in the Ukraine who are standing and fighting and trying to hold on for their people, we pray for strength and for perseverance, Lord, that you would protect and provide for them and their families and their loved ones. We pray for the refugees, those who will be fleeing to other countries for safety, that they would find refuge, that they would find families, that they would find churches ready and willing to be available with open doors, open arms, and open hearts. We pray for the Ukrainian church, Lord, that in the midst of this, they would shine as salt and light. Some of these church leaders have been through this before. Give them wisdom 
Let their testimony shine to the younger generations that have not yet experienced this kind of persecution. Let the church stand together with unshakable courage and resilience in the face of this oppressor. Father, we pray for the Ukrainian army that they would be able to defend, to protect, and to uphold their countrymen and women. Give them strength, perseverance, endurance. Guide them. We pray for their success, Lord. We pray for the Ukrainians that are scattered throughout the world, specifically even here in America. Father, that they would find comfort and refuge as their hearts break for the people in their country, in their home. We heard in Maxime's voice, Lord, this reality as his heart breaks for his own people. We pray that as a church here in America, that where there are connections in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our pathways with the Ukrainian church, that we would find ourselves as good neighbors who love and pray. Lord, we pray for the enemies that are coming against Ukraine in these days. There are some who have evil intentions. There are some who desire to take, to conquer, to invade, to destroy. Father, your spirit can bring conviction. There can be repentance. Lord, turn them away from their evil, thwart their plans. Disrupt them, put obstacles in their way. Father, don't allow them to have a peaceful night of sleep until they turn away from these actions and behaviors. We pray for the Russians who are peacefully, yet actively attempting to subvert their government leaders. We heard of some, as Maxime's message shared about the Russian government even having to shut down social media, as there are many who are protesting against this war. We pray that you would strengthen and grow this groundswell within the country of Russia. That men and women who love you would stand together and oppose their leaders. That they would take part in subverting their government. We praise you for the testimony of reports of Russian soldiers who were refusing to fight and we pray, Lord, that that would grow amongst the soldiers that there would be a growing refusal to do injustice and violence. And Lord, we pray for the Christian church in Russia, that you would strengthen them, that you would motivate them, that they would not be overcome by the evil that surrounds them, but rather as you are working in and through them, that they would overcome this evil by doing good. And Lord, we understand that that means that they may face persecution at the hands of their own government. Give them strength. Give them courage. Give them endurance to stand. Lastly, Father, we pray for those connected with our own faith community here at Calvary Monument Bible Church, those who you've sent to take the gospel into Ukraine and Russia and the countries that surround them, We pray right now for Maxime and his family. Might they know your hand of protection, Lord. 
might they be comforted through your word. We pray for those who are connected with Zaporosha Bible College and Seminary, Pastor Petrenko. We pray for the Baptist Union Churches, Pastor Pasha and others who have stood and endured this kind of persecution before. We pray that you would strengthen and prepare them to stand again. We pray for the Tomorrow Clubs. We pray for the Fimian Church, for the South Church, and for the many other churches that we're connected with in this country. Father, it's our desire that you would keep this country on our hearts and on our minds. Lord, many of us feel like, what can we do? This is what you've given us to do, Lord. For many of us, this is the work you've given us to do. Faithful prayer and petitioning for our brothers and sisters. So let us do it well, Lord. Let us do it well over the next number of weeks and months, however long this takes. Let us continue to come to you, to depend on you, to rely on you. Lord, bring the people in Ukraine to safety. Pull back the Russians and their forces. Let there be peace. We give you the glory for what you'll do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to thank you all uh, for that, uh, taking that time today. I know that for many of you this has been difficult. Uh, the last few days I've gotten a number of messages from many of you, text messages, phone calls, emails, uh, just mentioning connections that our church has to different parts of the world in Ukraine uh, and Russia. And so uh, we just need to be in consistent and regular prayer uh, for that situation. Um, and isn't it good, isn't it good that on days and in times like these that we can turn to a place that's unchanging, life-giving, and hope-filled? In God's word. I'm so glad that we can turn to God's word in times like this. And so let's remind ourselves and let's uh, reflect together on uh, our monthly memory verse. If it's up here, it may be, it may not be. Uh, there it is. First Corinthians chapter 15. This is our last week with this verse. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God within me. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Well, we've been working through this chapter together over the course of the last few weeks, and we're going to continue in our study of chapter 15 all the way up to Global Outreach Conference, and then actually uh, the week following, we'll be ending our study in 1 Corinthians 15 on Easter Sunday, as is appropriate with the end of the chapter. Last week, we, we were in a difficult part of this chapter. If you remember, there were some considerations that Paul invited us to think about if Jesus had not risen from the dead. But today, Paul desires to turn our attention towards the reality that Jesus is indeed risen 
from the dead. How hope-filled that message is. And so Paul is now going to invite us in verses 20 to 28. He's inviting us around an examination table from which he will present to us the true Messiah as the risen Messiah, the right-making Messiah, and the reigning Messiah. So we're going to read today from 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 28. And before we do, let's pray and ask the Lord to guide our time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it can bless us and encourage us even in difficult times. That's the power of your Holy Spirit at work right now, Lord. We recognize it. We know he's moving. He's active. He's among us in these moments as we look at your word. Would you use your word today to help us have a clearer vision of your son, Jesus, and how what he's done motivates us to love and to go and share his good news with others. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 28, Paul writing to the church. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then when Christ comes, those who belong to him. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When he has brought to an end all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be eliminated is death. For he has put everything in subjection under his feet. But when it says everything has been put in subjection... It is clear that this does not include the one who put everything in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. So Paul is moving us back towards the light here in verse 20. Thankfully, last week it was kind of dark and hopeless. Paul was exploring these dark possibilities that perhaps if if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, here's the way our lives may look. So to fully appreciate what we have in being saved by a resurrected Messiah, it may have been helpful for us to contemplate what life would have looked like apart from his resurrection. And with this contemplation adequately behind us, there's no more speculation needed. We now move into fact. And so in verse 20, Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When Paul uses the word first fruits here, it's intentional. And we've seen throughout his letter, he's dropped hints that uh, allude to the reality that within the Corinthian church, there were many present who had a Jewish background. Earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul mentioned the feast of the unleavened bread. And now with the use of the word first fruits, he's alluding to another feast that was part of the Jewish calendar known as the Festival of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. And this was typically held at the beginning of the harvest. It served as a guarantee to a future hopeful 
and bountiful harvest. And so in many tangible ways, friends, the destiny of a people is very much tied to the harvest. And so our minds go back to the book of Leviticus when we consider uh, what this feast looks like. And this is in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, starting in verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land that I'm about to give you, and you gather in its harvest... Then you must bring the sheaf of the first portion or first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he must wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for your benefit. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest is to wave it. And so thus, the imagery here is the seed that would go into the ground planted as seemingly dead and lifeless would spring forth life becoming grave, or becoming grain, sorry, not grave. We're talking about death in the grave, but the seed put into the ground becomes grain. Paul will unpack this further later on here in this same chapter. And so as the priest would take the sheave of grain, he would wave it up and down in an act that we can now look back on and see the symbolism of a Messiah buried and raised to life. Yet it wasn't just the symbolic act of waving the grain that was important. It was also that there was an imperative that the people bring the best of the best to be offered unto God. And with this, we're reminded that Jesus is the very best of humanity. He is the perfect, unblemished, and sinless sacrifice. Jesus is the first fruit, the best that God had to offer to his world. And as the righteous, right-making sacrifice, Jesus is also the first fruit of the resurrection and the hope of resurrection and life for all who have died in him. Church, in, in Paul's words here, our imaginations hear echoes of this promise that Jesus gave at the tomb of Lazarus when he was speaking to Martha. You remember, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Friends, for the one who believes and dies in Christ, because of Jesus' right-making and reconciling work on the cross, there is eternal life. And so Paul is going to explain to us further in this text how Jesus made right the wrong of humankind. So look down again at verses 21 and 22. For as by a man death came death by a man has come sorry for as by a man came death by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. 22 for as in Adam all die so also in Christ all will be made alive. And so portions of verses 21 and 22, they reach out and they take hold of us, pulling us back towards our origins in Adam and Eve. All of humanity was represented by Adam and Eve in the garden. Not only because very literally all of humanity was held up within Adam, but also because if we were in his position, church, if we were in Adam's position, we all would have lived and acted in the same manner. In the first parents of humanity, our faithlessness was on full display. Adam simply 
didn't believe that God was who he said he was or that his word was sufficient. Had he trusted God and had he trusted the word of God, there would have never been reason for him to take the fruit and to taste of it. Adam's faithlessness and his disobedience opened the door for sin and death to enter the world. And friends, the Bible tells us that in Adam, we have all sinned. The result of this church is that we're born dead. The Bible says we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. We're captive to the ways of this world, the principalities and the rulers that govern this world system. Every one of us, from the moment we are conceived, demonstrate that we are prone to and guilty of the same faithlessness that Adam demonstrated in the garden. And church, we see evidence of this reality in the fact, I don't know about you, but I never had to teach my children or I myself never had to be taught how to worry, consume, fear, fight, whine, whine, never had to be taught how to whine or covet. It just comes naturally, right? We, in many ways, we come out of the womb bawling, crying, right, into a world. We're born into a world that is just taxed from top to bottom with sin. It's a part and parcel of our very being. But as Paul is saying here, just as he says in a bit of a different context in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, Jesus overcomes or makes right the failures of Adam. And if we want to look together at one example in Jesus' earthly ministry uh, where he's making right this failure, we, we don't have to look any further than his temptation in the wilderness. And it, it's striking within the wilderness temptation account how radically and completely Jesus' right-making work is on full display. Whereas the temptation in the garden was met with failure and became a tragedy that unveiled humanity's ruin and wreckage, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is loaded with themes of redemption, of restoration. It's a foreshadowing of his ultimate and eternal victory over sin and death. And through his resounding victory in the wilderness, Jesus begins uh, this uh, earthly ministry where he's foreshadowing his thorough dismantling uh, of evil. At the conclusion of his temptation in the wilderness, we're told that Jesus steps out of the wilderness and he's famished and he's weakened, yet he's unscathed by the enemy's attempts to thwart his ministry. And so where Adam and Eve failed in the garden, where Moses and Israel failed in the wilderness, where David failed on the throne, Jesus is victorious. Jesus alone holds the power to make right the ills of humanity. Jesus alone has the ability to take what is broken between humanity and God and repair it and make it whole again. Church, only in Christ can we find our true shalom or resting place. Resurrection and life are found in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Yet Paul does, he does reveal that with this there is an order or an intentionality behind Jesus' right-making work. And we see this in verses 23 and 24. Take a look. But each in his own 
order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And so there is this uh, bit of a, a pulling back of the curtain that's going on here is Paul's giving us a quick glimpse into the end. As Christ has already been resurrected and we now await his second coming, uh, there are some here but not yet fully realized paradigms that emerge in our thinking and that are very real uh, for the church. In one sense, we who are in Christ, we've already experienced resurrection, empowering and fueling us to accomplish the task we've been given here on earth. Spiritually, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In salvation, we were resurrected and made alive with Christ. But in another sense, we haven't yet fully experienced the resurrection that Paul is speaking of here. Paul is speaking of our future physical or bodily resurrection. As we wait for Jesus' physical return, we are to be about the business of our Father's work. And this work is related to the building of his kingdom. Friends, Jesus is building his church by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit at work in and through his people. We have a task. We have a purpose As those who already belong to Christ, we are called to be salt and light, living and declaring the good news of the gospel to those that God draws into our pathways. And it's amazing, Jesus, he uses the testimony and the witness of his saints, those who are adopted into the family of God, to build his church as we await his glorious return. Think of the testimony of our Ukrainian brothers and sisters today. As they stand in that country under the great turmoil, under the threat of war looming, knocking at their doors as they stand, it serves as a testimony and a witness to us and to those that don't yet know Jesus. And Jesus uses that to draw people unto himself. The kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully realized. As followers of Christ, we can participate in kingdom principles today when we live led by the Spirit. Our lives should be cruciform or cross-shaped. Jesus taught the principles and ways of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. He also lived them and he embodied them. And when the kingdom is fully realized, Jesus will hand it over to his Father. And this is what Paul's depicting here. However, it's important for us, friends, to recognize that while we wait, this is not a time of passivity. We were not called and left here to sit on our hands and do nothing. And the church one day, yes, will hopefully soon be raptured. And then what will follow is the tribulation. And then Jesus will return and set up his literal thousand-year kingdom. But this kingdom was inaugurated at his first coming. We don't yet fully see it or realize it, but there will be a day when Jesus comes to set up his literal and physical kingdom. It's at the end of this thousand-year physical reign of Christ on earth when, as Paul says in verse 24, Jesus will, quote, deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. 
Now, friends, there are all kinds of debates and discussions within the church over the exact timeline of these events. Yet, as Paul describes and seems to understand it in his letters, it appears that we, the church, are living in an age where we're still awaiting the second coming of Jesus, an age many scholars have identified as the church age. And while every power and authority and ruler, more specifically Satan, sin, and death, has been put on high alert and notice, Jesus has not fully and finally yet destroyed every rule, authority, and power in the physical sense that we will see at the end. As we live on this earth today, friends, we don't have to look any further than what we prayed about this morning at the beginning of the message to see that there are still powers, there are still principalities at work in this world that can be personified and described as sin, death, Satan, and or his demons. But just because those powers and principalities are present doesn't mean that Jesus is waiting to reign until some day later on. Paul does not allow that kind of thinking in his text here. In Paul's imagination, Jesus is reigning now. But his reign looks different today than it will when he comes to set up his millennial kingdom. And we see evidence of this reality in Paul's intentional use of the present active infinitive verb at the beginning of verse 25. Let's take a look at verse 25 together. It's important that we recognize that word reign in verse 25 is present. It's in the present tense, not future tense. For he must reign, meaning he is reigning and he will continue to reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. He says in verse 26, here's the order again, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. But then he uses this similar under his feet kind of phrasing in verse 27 where he's actually quoting from Psalm chapter 8 verse 6. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And Paul does this a number of times in this text. He quotes from Psalm uh, 110, verses 1 and 2, quotes from Psalm chapter 8, uh, verse 6, and I'm going to try to move rapidly here because of our time this morning. Uh, and again, in one sense, this has already happened. Death has been defeated by the resurrection of Messiah. The enemies of Christ have been put under his feet. Uh, we might even think back to the image in the garden where the serpent would strike the heel of Messiah, but the foot of Jesus would crush the head of the serpent. And we see this um, in kind of this already sense in text, and I'm going to just give you the uh, call number for the text because we don't have time to read them right now, but if you want to look at the already kind of sense of how Jesus has done this, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 20 to 23, it's in your note guide, you can star that. We see the already sense of this being exercised. We, already, we, all, we also see it in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, but then there's this not yet kind of sense, kind of like we've read in our text this morning, but it's also present in texts like Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, and so I'll read that. But when... This priest had offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. He sat down at the right hand of God where he is now waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Church, what we're reminded of in this is that Christ is not yet finished 
bringing together the people of his kingdom and uniting us under his lordship. That work is not yet done yet. Jesus is still building his church. And while Jesus' enemies still have effects and are some ways effective in this world, as children who are adopted into the family of God, we are no longer subject to these powers. Being in Christ, friends, we live by this truth. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in what? The world. Absolutely. Friends, the work that Jesus is doing through us in the person of the Holy Spirit today, this is important work. And, and those who are without Christ in this world, friends, they're still held captive by the forces of sin and death. They are in the grip of the evil one. And while we have been set free, there are many today that are still in bondage. And we as disciples of Jesus have been sent into the world as salt and light with a great commandment and a great commission. And as we go about loving one another in a supernatural and otherworldly way, Jesus has infused within us a powerful life-giving message that he is using to draw men and women unto himself for salvation. It is the message of the gospel. And those who do not yet know Jesus, friends, they could never hear this message proclaimed enough or seen it lived out enough until they themselves come to faith in Christ alone and are motivated to do the same. Church, this is today. If you want to know how do we glorify God in our lives today, this is how we do it while we remain here on earth. The command is to love the commission is to go and to find and to make others who will do the same. And as we do this, we keep in mind that all things already are and all things will one day be subject to the one who gave it all that we might live. And there's much more that we could say about this passage. I don't want to let our time get uh, from us today, but we did need to take some time to pray uh, for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Um, I just want to share uh, a few closing thoughts today, uh, if I might, with you. We talked about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and how that's one way that Jesus kind of undoes the failure of Adam. It's amazing to me if you take one scene from that temptation Satan comes to Jesus and he says to him, I will give you all these things. He takes him up on this high mountain, you remember? And he stands up there with him and he looks out over and Jesus sees all these kingdoms and worldly powers. And Satan says, I will give you all these things if you throw yourself to the ground and worship me. Now this is at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus knows the pain and the suffering that's set before him. He has a chance in this moment to take a shortcut, to bow out, to save himself from the punishment and the torment, to take a kingdom for himself. The forbidden fruit of power, position, fame, platform, it's immediately before him. We have to love how he responds, don't we? Jesus knows God is greater. Jesus knows it already all belongs to him. Jesus wants the world to see and to know the supremacy of the one who is 
all in all. He looks at the tempter. He looks at Satan and he says this. Go away, Satan. Go away. And then he quotes for a third time from the word of God. For it is written, you are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In that moment, friends, Satan's end is foreshadowed. God will not be denied. Christ will be victorious. Death will be put to death. And God will be known as all and all. And I believe, church, it is magnificent to consider the reality that just for a moment, our lives are but a vapor. Here we sit today and many of our older brothers and sisters, our senior saints, would tell you our lives are but a vapor. But just this moment, we are here as children of the living God through the blood of Jesus. And what a magnificent honor that we've been chosen and invited into to taste, to see, to participate as the church in Jesus' right-making work of making God known to the world. Friends, that's an honor. That's a privilege. That is the opportunity that we have as the church in this world to love others in a supernatural, otherworldly way and to share the gospel with them in a way that Christ may make God known unto them and they may find salvation alone in him. It's a good task for us, amen? Amen. So how might we live as disciples of Jesus and function together as his church in an overwhelmingly not yet believing world? And I might say, considering our text this morning, we could say this. Looking upward and onward, we affirm the risen Messiah United with him today in his right-making work, we the church also eagerly await his second coming when he will destroy every rule, authority, and power, delivering the kingdom to our Father who will finally and eternally be worshipped as all in all. Friends, Jesus is victorious and Jesus will be victorious.